This is West Virginia Morning. I'm Teresa Wills. From the Hope Scholarship to charter schools, West Virginia's educational landscape has changed quite a bit in the last few years. Often driven by legislation, supporters of the school choice movement have more options now than ever before. More people are looking for different ways to educate their children at this point in time. The pandemic opened up a lot of doors and uh, opened up a lot of eyes. That story and more coming up this West Virginia Morning. Support for West Virginia Morning is proudly provided by Luke Frazier. Wednesday was Black Policy Day at the legislature. As Chris Schultz reports, it's an opportunity for advocates to highlight the issues facing Black West Virginians to legislators. Katanya Hart is one of the organizers of Black Policy Day. Hart said the day's focus is broad, bringing attention and action to issues facing all West Virginians. However, one bill, the Crown Act, is of particular interest. Well, Crown stands for creating a respectable and open world for natural hair and culturally relevant hairstyles. If I wake up in the morning and I wash my hair and I go to work and not straighten it and perm it, it's okay. Nobody's going to say that looks wild and unruly and unprofessional and send me home. What is the necessity of that? Several municipalities, including Morgantown, Charleston, and Beckley, have created their own ordinances to codify the Crown Act's protections locally, but advocates have been waiting to see it become state law for four years. For West Virginia Public Broadcasting, I'm Chris Schultz in Charleston. Federal money from the Environmental Protection Agency is being sent to West Virginia to address drinking water contaminants in state waterways. Shepard Snyder has more. Nearly $19 million are going to state agencies to address PFAS, known widely as harmful forever chemicals that have been found in 130 raw water supplies statewide. State and local agencies are expected to submit their proposals for grant money this month, according to the EPA's website. The grant is expected to create programs for local household water testing and local contractor training, among other programs that would address PFAS in disadvantaged communities. Two bills were introduced in the State House and Senate this legislative session to regulate PFAS, House Bill 3189 and Senate Bill 489. Both are currently in committees, though the House bill has been recommended to move to floor discussion. For West Virginia Public Broadcasting, I'm Shepard Snyder in Martinsburg. A study from WVU recently looked at the financial costs of self-injury deaths like suicide or overdose as a way to make people pay more attention to the problem. Appalachia Health News reporter Emily Rice next up spoke with Ian Rocket, one of the authors of the study. So I definitely just wanted to get started with introducing yourself. I am a professor emeritus of epidemiology in the Department of Epidemiology and Biostatistics at uh, West Virginia University, and I'm also adjunct professor of psychiatry at the University of Rochester Medical Center. Could you tell me a little bit about how you personally became interested in, was it the mental health crisis that got you interested in doing these studies? Back in the late 1980s, I did a little study with a a colleague who's also actually a WVU professor, uh, Gordon Smith, comparing different countries in terms of various cause of injury deaths. And one of the countries that that 
I became interested at the time was Japan. And in a serendipitous way, I actually became aware that, that there might be a serious problem of undercounting suicides among elderly Japanese women. And so that was actually my start into the research area of suicide undercounting. And I had wondered, you know, whether there might be some overlap between these two. And that led me to drill down deeper. We developed this concept, Death from Drug Self-Intoxication, where what we're saying is that now some of the drug overdose deaths are actually going to be misclassified suicides. You know, taking suicide rates to equating them to a monetary dollar in this study, is that a way, not a way to get the attention of, but it's a different way to frame the information to educate the public about the larger issue? Would that be correct in saying? Yes, I think that's that's certainly a, a motive because I really think there's... Uh, reluctance at the societal level. And there actually is a huge disparity in terms of expenditures on substance abuse versus suicide. They, they, they tend to be treated separately, whereas my colleagues and I say there's very, very serious overlap and, and we think it's counterproductive to, to treat them separately. I wanted to ask about what public health interventions could possibly help this. Obviously, we have um, anti-suicide initiatives, we have hotlines, we have stuff like that. But are we looking at more of a societal change to change these outcomes? Uh, we need to do more, obviously, educationally. Uh, there need to be more efforts to destigmatize suicide, which is not to say we want to encourage people to die by suicide, but to, to try to understand that there's usually there, there are deep uh, psychological problems underlying suicides or there are economic issues or financial issues at the level of families and, and employment and so forth. So it's multifaceted. You mentioned an increase uh, per capita of 263% in the time that you all studied. That's just an astronomical number. If you could just speak to West Virginia specifically. Loss of high-paying jobs in the coal industry have obviously been, been devastating for this state and obviously too more needs to be done about job uh, substitution and, and it seems that one important direction would be to increase manufacturing jobs and there seems to be uh, some movement at the federal level that at least that direction is, is going to be supported so uh, I think that would be very very important for West Virginia. It cuts across categories like, like social class. Rich people can run, run into problems with uh, substance issues. It's not, not just the poor, but certainly people who are not poor who get into trouble with substances may face and their families may face serious downward mobility. Well, I want to thank you so much for your time and for speaking so eloquently on such a difficult topic. Well, thank you for giving me a voice and, and it is a really important problem. And, uh, I think there's, there's, there's so much potential for, for amelioration and it's something that we, we really need to be addressing now. That was Ian Rocket from WVU speaking with Appalachia Health News reporter Emily Rice about the cost of fatal self-injury in West Virginia. This is West Virginia Morning. I'm Teresa Wills. It's 752. 
Rain and thunderstorms today. High temperatures in the 60s. Tonight, heavy rain and gusty wind possible. Lows in the 30s and 40s. And tomorrow, rain and gusty wind with highs in the 50s and 60s. Support for the weather forecast is provided by the attorneys at Torres Save a Law, representing firefighters, police officers, and West Virginia families. Information at TorresSaveAlaw.com. From the Hope Scholarship to charter schools, West Virginia's educational landscape has changed quite a bit in the last few years. Often driven by legislation, supporters of the school choice movement have more options now than ever before. For the legislature today, education reporter Chris Schultz sat down with Delegate Kathy Hess-Krauss and Senator Roland Roberts to discuss how things have changed. Do you think that these schools and and these educational options are being properly supported by the state right now? Um, Delegate, why don't we start with you? I think we can always do better. Um, I believe more people are looking for different ways to educate their children at this point in time. The pandemic opened up a lot of doors and uh, opened up a lot of eyes. And I think we need to continue to expand our educational opportunities in the state and the support of those that choose a different route. Excellent. So, Senator, you know, how can the legislature actually achieve that? Well, right now we're, we're kind of cutting our teeth a little bit and breaking the ice on yeah. the whole topic. And it's, it's kind of been foreign to people, especially the Department of Education. And so, especially with the establishment of the charter schools, this is the first year. Uh, there's been some legislation to try to help. We found out some, there were some needs. And so now trying to help the West Virginians start charter schools instead of other entities coming in from outside. We're trying to help with that. And then with the Hope Scholarship, trying to get all of that coordinated. Um, obviously, with the, the lawsuit, it was slow go there for a while. And uh, then uh, things didn't really get going until the middle of the year, last month, actually, with the funds being released. And so we're still, we're still early on in the, uh, in the School Choice Committee in the Senate today. We, we passed Senate Bill 589, and uh, that has to do with the the uh, clarifying of the Hope Scholarship, there were some things that when we passed it, like much legislation, you kind of look at it a second time and then you realize, you know what, we probably didn't say that quite right and do that. And so there's a little bit of cleanup things with that and that was passed out of the committee today. So we're, we're uh, trying to get everything going in a right direction and then I'm sure there will be room for improvement as we move on. Yeah, just as uh, you and I were discussing just before the cameras came on that um, it's been interesting. You know, we haven't had the big swings that we've seen in recent years in this session, but there's been a lot of cleanup. There's been a lot of, you know, ticky tacky kind of a little bit here, a little bit there, changing a phrase. Um, One of the things I am curious about uh, as we see these bigger programs take off is, um, you know, I've been hearing this term uh, education pods these education groups. Is that something that that either of your committees are looking at right now? 
the are you speaking about the micro schools and the exactly. learning pods? Yes. So those are already passed and in law now. Um, and I, I'm thinking we may have one micro school at the moment. I'm, not I'm sure. thinking in the state. <laughs> it's just that um, micro. Yeah. So that, and learning pods are something that's pretty basically been going on anyway in the homeschool community. Parents get together, they do a co-op. You've got parents that teach different classes, and um, this is just an expansion of that. Yeah, that's certainly interesting, and that, that actually brings me to uh, a question that I had as far as, you know, we've really seen this progression and, and you know, formalizing microschools, which as you say is something that's, uh, uh, something that's been going on already kind of holistically. So how far does this movement go? I mean, you know, how much more do we want to see in the realm of school choice, or are we kind of at a nice position right now? I think basically the goal is for the money to follow the child and let the parents choose whatever is best for that child. Uh, it could be that one child is, is doing flourishing in public school, another child not. And so it may be that there's some special needs there that, the, that are not going to be addressed in the private school community community or the public school community. So then they need to go with a tutor and specialize in helping that child with their needs. So there's all sorts of options. I think that's where we're headed. Delegate, what do you think? I think there's never enough options. Um, every child is different. Every child learns differently. Every child learns at a different pace. And I think we need to specialize every child's education. And that may mean that one child not only is a micro schooler, but maybe they're also a public schooler on top of that. Uh, maybe it's a combination of a charter school and a learning pod. Whatever works for that child should be what we are pushing because what we ultimately want for every child in West Virginia is for them to learn and succeed. So why should we hold them back by giving them only one option? I say we open up the whole world for them. That was Delegate Kathy Hess-Krauss and Senator Roland Roberts speaking with Chris Schultz about school choice in West Virginia for the legislature today. To hear the rest of that interview, visit our website at wvpublic.org. Tune in every evening, Monday through Friday at 6 p.m. on radio and television to get updates on the legislative session. West Virginia Morning is a production of West Virginia Public Broadcasting, which is solely responsible for its content. You can keep up with the latest West Virginia news throughout the day on our website, wvpublic.org. Support for our news bureaus comes from West Virginia University, Concord University, and Shepherd University. West Virginia Morning is produced with help from Bill Lynch, Caroline McGregor, Curtis Tate, Chris Schultz, Emily Rice, Eric Douglas, Liz McCormick, Randy Yowie, and Shepard Snyder. Eric Douglas is our news director, and he produced today's show. I'm your host, Teresa Wills. This is West Virginia Morning.